In this week's edition of Farmers Inside Track, we catch up with a dynamic Eastern Cape grain farmer, Sineli Fakade. In our entrepreneurship slot, Senior Manager for Agribusiness at Standard Bank, Berti Haman, talks to us about the benefits and disadvantages of having debt. And then, based on your request, we bring our popular Mzanzi flavor segment to this podcast. Every week, you will meet a local chef and be empowered with a top tip from nutritionist Andrea Duplessis. And on top of our reading list this week is Meeting Your Power, Returning Home to Yourself by two remarkable women, Lidze Zintle and Nokubonga Mbanga. And of course, our weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Market with agri-economist Dr. Johnny van der Merwe. It's a must for our farmers and agripreneurs. He highlights the latest price movements and expectations for the coming week. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzanzi, welcome to episode 40 of Food for Mzanzi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host Dawn Numdu and you're listening to South Africa's leading farmers podcast. And I'm Duncan Masua and as always we kick off the show by introducing you to a mover and shaker in agriculture and today's guest is none other than Sini Lizwe Fakade. Now, Sinelize, rural development and helping emerging farmers is something that I believe is very close to your heart. Why is that? And tell us a bit about the work that you do in this regard. Yeah, thanks, Duncan, for the opportunity to interact and have have an opportunity to share my story and the kind of work we're doing in the Eastern Cape. Personally as well, graduated into new spheres with regards to my profile and my personal uh, development through the fact that I'm now I'm commercially farming on 1,100 hectares in the Yugi area. Grain farmer, predominantly maize, sorghum, soyas, starting wheat next year. That operation is going very nicely. I had a very good first year, private sector funded. And then also post-grain essay, which I left last year, 30th of August. I then had the opportunity to open up an entity looking into rural development. It's an NPO, Ukanyo Farmer Development is the name. It's myself and the mentors who were part of the Grain SA program while I was still employed there. So there has been a lot of change ever since my Grain SA stint, which I highly appreciate. It exposed me to a lot of good things and it exposed me to a lot of challenges as well. And it really honed my rural development appetite which today I'm exercising with 18 other young agricultural graduates. Obviously, the team growing to 36 this coming year through other youngsters being part of it. So it's been good. It's been challenging and it's been exciting at the same time with regards to the work that we've been able to do. So, yeah, that's me currently. And we're making our contribution to a better Eastern Cape through agriculture and the commercialization thereof. Now, your entire family has been bitten by the agricultural bug. And apart from you, both your brother and sister are currently studying agriculture, I believe. And I'm sure, you know, when posing the question, all of you would answer it differently. But for you personally, what encouraged your choice to pursue agriculture and not another career in a different sector? (laughs) Yeah, I think when it comes to the choice in terms of career, I was very fortunate to have advice around me, my mom and as a simpler woman as she was, with nothing really, but the, the ability to really sacrifice everything for us. Her advice and advice from business people who were family members and having the privilege to have a close relationship with people of that caliber 
really changed my view as I grew when it comes to careers. Funny enough, my dream job was to be a detective one day, which obviously is the complete opposite. But I think ultimately for me, Duncan, I think it came to the advice that I was being given and I was made to understand a lot of things through the advice I was absorbing. So agriculture for me became a no-brainer from when I was exposed to it. I mean, as early as grade eight, I went to an agricultural high school. All of my qualifications, all four of them, have been agriculture and rural development related. And it was persistently behind the fact that I had very fruitful and very developing conversations with people who were part of my family that had really had a lot of experience through business, through educating other kids of the family. So there was a lot that I'm very privileged to have had that maybe people my age don't have. And I really do believe it plays an important role to have that father figure when growing up, regardless of where it comes from. But I was very fortunate enough to have that father figure in terms of the family members. And fast forward and there I was, loving it, enjoying it. And as I said, started from grade eight and all my qualifications, my years behind the desk being seven plus or minus, have been agriculture and, and rural development related. So it was a bug that bit me that I didn't understand at a young age. And it was something that just carried through right until the last degree that I obtained. So that's how it came about. I'm very fortunate to have had that ability to tap into agriculture as a career. That's where it started. And today that's where I am. And that's where I intend on staying as an agriculturalist. Sinelizwi, if anyone wants to be successful and run a sustainable farming business, they need to have knowledge as much as skill or experience. What role has agricultural education played on your journey? Heavy, 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 a significant role. The thing that I learned now that I'm farming and exposed to the industry practically is that the way that you were taught and what you were taught from an education perspective gave you the opportunity to understand agriculture when it comes to various terms and how it's explained and the various technicalities of it. Combine that with the outside world post-education, I quickly realized that the experience part is paramount. But in some instances, at least for me, what I had obtained from an education perspective made me absorb the experience and exposure much quicker than I had originally thought. When I look back, had I not had the opportunity to understand what a hectare is, understand what a fertilizer is and what components make up a fertilizer, how to do the calculations thereof. What is plant population? What do we mean by plant population? What do we mean by chemicals? First, second spray, post and pre-emergence. All those technicalities and terms, I think I absorbed quicker when I was exposed to the real world. The difficulty of the education system, and I think I'll speak for myself personally, is that it didn't really give you what I've experienced in the outside world. To be able to plant a milli, or should I say a maize kernel, and really understand the stages of growth, theoretically sounded good, but the journey of it practically, and from an experience perspective, is very different from what we've learned in the books of agriculture. But I do repeat, the ability to have had an, a heavy agricultural foundation and education in my part has influenced or played a significant role of me being able to absorb the necessary exposure and experience from a practical perspective. It happened far quicker than what I would have had to do had I not had the education background. So significant. And I really promote the fact that if we are to develop young black farmers who are going to be commercial 
and produce on a commercial rate. Those guys, the education combined with the experience is the key ingredient to really get the guys independent and really producing at necessary levels. It's not easy. It doesn't come overnight. But for me, I assisted in that manner. I had it from an education perspective. I combined it with the experience. I absorbed quicker. Had I not had that background education-wise, I think I would have taken a little bit more time to understand how agricultural work and what the industry is like and what is expected of you as a commercial farmer. One of the things that I like about you, Sinelizwe, is that your agricultural journey is backed by education. You've completed your Master's of Agriculture in Food Security and Policy, and I believe is currently completing your PhD in Sustainable Agriculture or Food Security and Policy. Tell us what those fields of study encompass. First of all, from an education perspective, my PhD studies had come to a grinding halt because of my farming opportunity that I had received. So all of that had to be put on pause. And obviously, you know, being involved in rural development and and starting up a new NPO with other team members and and getting the ball rolling there demanded a lot of time over and above getting the systems in place and, and getting the farm operation up and running. So academically, I've still got one more hurdle, which is the indeed the PhD. But I was looking at sustainable agriculture and having a serious look at that component of agriculture. And the only reason was because it was a topic of discussion or of qualification that I had not covered, in my opinion, or in my stretch of academics. So I think ideally what I want to achieve and what I was looking at when it comes to that is ways and strategies of how farmers, emerging farmers specifically, with a specific emphasis on Eastern Cape predominantly, how those would be put to them, or should I say transferred to them to upskill their production level, but also them as individuals, to me was quite important. Second component of the sustainable agricultural approach was finding ways from a crop rotation perspective or looking or assessing the impact of crop rotation with regards to commercial grain production in communal and or land beneficiary areas. So from a sustainable agricultural perspective, that's where I was with regards to understanding the topic I was looking for. And obviously, when I was getting into the groove of things, my farming opportunity came to the fore. So the ability to have had the opportunity of studying food security and understanding the policies that drive food security really opened up my view on the industry at large and having the ability to understand components of what makes up food security has influenced how I look at things, especially from a rural development perspective, which is one of my passions, as I had alluded to. So I think for me, from an education perspective, it's more to say the PhD has to be done. I will be doing it. I'm not going to drop it last minute. But obviously, the business also takes center stage now. And because it's at its infancy stage, a lot of attention is required. So from a studying perspective, those are the components of sustainable agriculture I was looking to address or should I say investigate from a research perspective. So again, it's something that in my academic profile and obviously industry drive and passion, I think sustainable agriculture plays a significant role in ensuring that our farmers are economically sustainable, but also from a production perspective, you know, we produce good quality crops without damaging a lot of our natural resource or natural habitats. So a lot of my study was definitely going to look at that and or should I say will definitely look into components that are focusing on those areas. As I said, it's something that I have to finish and I had started and just going to go back to it once the business is up and running and and fully operational. So within the next year and a half, I'll be comfortable to go back to the desk again. Because I really want to complete it. From my cycle of education and where I come from, 
it's the last qualification and I owe it to myself and my family and, and mom, most importantly, a woman who's really been a pillar of my strength. That's what I'm looking to do and that's what I'm looking to achieve. Now, on that note, of course, you are a man of policies and I cannot let you go without asking you about some of the unwelcoming policies you've encountered as a young farmer from the Eastern Cape. Doug, in a lot honesty, I think that's a debate in itself for another day. It's been frustrating. The challenges that I've had to face, the type of policies that when you look at them and when you read them, they sound very good. But in reality, they are simply not happening. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to divulge into what everyone sees every day, but there's a serious issue of accepting and accommodating and welcoming professionally and not babysitting a mentality as it were really appreciating the fact that there's a new crop of farmers that needs to come into the industry. If you had to go and look, you would know more than me. You probably look at the stats every day. If you look at the stats of the average age of our farming community, it's a worry. But the difficulty of entering into the industry is even more worrisome. And like I say, my hair's on my back stand and I don't have a lot. But my goodness, the challenges I've had to face to try to become a commercial farmer in this industry have been something to behold. And the financial structures, Duncan, I could tell you on a different platform for a longer amount of time, how I struggled to get what I got. But ultimately, the struggle continues post the funding that I received because there's marketing challenges, Duncan. The cost per ton to transport goods is a killer cost for someone who's starting out. You know, the startup capital for farming is no joke. The current financial structures of this country are simply structured in a way where your penetration into this business or into this industry is made so difficult that you lose hope midway. It was fortunate that I just had the complete drive to become a commercial farmer. But at times, even with my operation to date, Duncan, I am deemed not an appetizing applicant for finance. Even with the backing and the asset base I have, some banks have rejected my application for funding or financing for growth because they don't have an appetite for an application like mine. So I've been funded. I've got the crop record. I've got the trade record. I've got the asset base. But yet I'm still someone who's in a position that needs further investigation. To get the land was arguably one of the hardest things I've had to achieve. And the way that I did it was extremely challenging. But anyway, I did it and I'm a proud owner and I really believe that perseverance and not giving up on your dream goes a long way. But policies, it's just extremely difficult. Like I say, you know, I'll just point out to the financial structures and the financial policies. Again, they sound wonderful on paper, but in all reality, we're not getting the results. If we had to take one policy, even if it's from an, our agricultural department, land reform or agrarian reform for that matter, even at national, the policies that are put in place, in my opinion, are masterclasses, masterclasses. But let's turn that into implementation. That becomes a thorn with regards to seeing the results. So the pain is really getting the results, Duncan. And maybe farmers have said it before, but in my opinion, but I've never come across such difficulty. And if it was difficult for me, how much more for someone that didn't have private sector investment or private sector backing? We will never have the transformation figures that these people wish upon the country and upon the industry. But again, we as farmers wanting to come into the industry, we need to be candidates and we need to be farmer profiles that are worthy of investing in. This game of agriculture is not do it this day and forget about it the next day. 
But again, the challenges remain and they remain steadfast. And that's the worrying part for me. So if there's one policy that sticks out for me that is a serious sore thumb, is the financial ability to accommodate and be accessible for someone that doesn't have collateral, for someone that doesn't have private sector support. And I could carry on, but that's the sore thumb for me, Duncan. Financing obviously makes the business grow and gives you the opportunity to follow what you want to do. There's a lot of farmers out there, Duncan, that are young, black, passionate, even white farmers for that matter, that are young, that are wanting to get into the industry. It's extremely difficult. But the sore thumb and the pain that I feel the most was for you, the young farmers I see every day in the Eastern Cape, from veg to livestock to grain to horticultural crops for that matter. Their ability and their profile is not being assessed in a way that is today. The credit system of this country and the access to credit or financing is an absolute pain with regards to making sure farmers enter or new farmers enter in, into the agricultural industry. I don't know what you're going to do. But in my opinion, those that are fortunate enough like me have got an obligation to address these issues with regards to the industry. And I mean, the industry has got no choice with regards to age. You have to have new blood coming in, into the pipeline or should I say into the agricultural pipeline as it were. And the systems have to change and be more accommodating with regards to farmers. There's no rocket science about it, but currently it's as difficult as anything. The guys or the big corporates in the industry are big corporates, but they started somewhere. They had to have started somewhere, but that somewhere is so difficult to get to now. It becomes an absolute mission to even dream of the transformation that is needed in this industry. The industry has to become an industry for all. But unfortunately, the systems in place currently and the policies in place and finance Finance being the sore thumb for me is not doing it. And a lot more needs to be done. And frank discussions need to happen in all honesty, in my opinion. But again, I'm very passionate when it comes to this. But that component of policy is a discussion for another day. We could carry on all day. But like I say, Duncan, I think that's my position and, and that's my assessment. A lot can really, really happen. But the problem for me lies in the current structures that are just high barriers of entry. Those need to be loosened. Those need to be more accommodating, but not theoretical, practically. That's what we need. Results are going to give us the position of whether we're going forwards or backwards as this industry. Already you have accomplished so much in your agricultural career, and I'm sure there are many more big things that you plan to do going forward. What's your goal for the next five to 10 years? I think most importantly is obviously to become a catalytic example of a new entrant farmer that just put his head down and did the hard work. Agriculture is hard work and developing an, an operation that is highly functional, that is efficient, that is sustainable and is environmentally friendly is my vision of the type of personally, the type of farming operation that I want to achieve. But also being an industry player and contributor to ensure or ensuring that our industry is indeed sustainable and is addressing issues for farmers to become optimal performers of their own game within the industry is also something that I'd like to be a heavy contributor of. So for me, I'm twofold. Personally, from a farming operation, it's obviously I'm a business person and it's important that I develop sustainably and economically and I really grow my business to become one of the top performing agricultural businesses in the province borderline national. My current cropping system, bettering that and making sure that continues to prove introducing high value cropping, which is an expensive investment. But as a farming business, diversification is key. Getting enterprises that are economically sound, making the sound economical decisions to ensure that your business stays afloat and just using finances wisely and becoming a business that is really leading when it comes to the economic performance. 
That's what I want to see as an farming operation that I'm very privileged to have started. But also, as I'd said, to contribute to an industry that is simply head above shoulders with regards to the potential of changing a lot of lives, particularly for the Eastern Cape. For me, in the next 10 years, I need to be able to look back and say, man, that 2% that I contributed has ensured that the industry of the Eastern Cape pertaining to agriculture continues to rise and rise high. So for me, those are the plans that I have. You know, I'm very, very passionate about developing black farmers. I really do believe for far too long, the Eastern Cape has been left behind with such vast potential and the social ills, as it were, that are perceived to be happening to me are nothing to actually whine about. Traditional leadership and land ownership and land tenure and communal land being under traditional authority. We as Ukanyo Farmer Development and through the work that we do as rural development specialists in our own right, as it were, we've broken those barriers. We are doing projects and we're part of projects that are producing commercial yields on communal land with the participation of traditional authority. So all those ills, as it were, those difficulties, those hurdles of getting commercial production happening in rural areas, we're breaking those barriers and we've got the results to prove. So for me, in line with my personal growth and my personal business growth, is obviously making sure that Eastern Cape really leads from the front when it comes to agriculture, because we've just got the potential. And I really do believe with the right jockeys on top of, of the right horses, we can really make a difference. And I think that's where the key is. Whether or not we'll get that opportunity in the next 24 months, we'll have to see. But the most important thing is change in your little corner and make sure that your little corner is really developing. Because from your little corner, you never know who you're impacting and who you're influencing to make change in their little corner. So for me, next five, 10 years, that's where I want to be. And that's where I know I will be because I've been given the opportunity of life and, and the opportunity to really do what I do and do what I love. So yeah, that's me in the next five, 10 years. And I'll be really pleased with myself and the whole collective that I work with if we can achieve a better and a greener Eastern Cape because it's possible. It is really possible. Right, on to our quirky questions, Sindelizwi. In this part of the show, I get to ask you two questions that are completely unrelated to agriculture. And uh, your questions for today are, if you could choose your age forever, what age would you choose and why? For me, it would be 27 or 28, Duncan. You're young, you're energetic. And in my position at that age, which is not far from my current age being 29, as you know, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to have had an open mind about things, how I approach various things, as much as you've got this burning energy. But if you have someone that, that can hold that energy and, and hold you back and not let you get free for long, give you the advice and guide your decision making, you can really become someone who's got significant influence and significant contribution. So for me, 27, 28, that's the age I would keep forever. You're young, you're vibrant. And if you're really passionate about something, you really go out of your way to make sure it works. That'll be great for me forever. Next question. If you could choose any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Hmm. There's a couple, but I think, ironically, not because he's from Eastern Cape, where he's one of the best leaders South Africa ever produced, but Nelson Mandela had various components of how he went about things that I really admire. Down the line, straightforward the ability to negotiate and allow consultation, very authoritative when needed, and was a simple individual. You know, I drive past his house at least six times a week here in Kunu. And the way he did things and the way he went about his business and how he ensured the work of his era 
and the team of his era and whoever was involved in his time in ensuring that South Africa, you know, becomes the South Africa we all need. I really hold him high to that. Yeah, his simplicity and the way he carried himself and how he got things done, precision and how he really went about making sure that what he spoke was carried out. I don't watch a lot of historic documentaries now, but all the books that I've read and the episodes and the seasons of shows and, and capturings of Nelson Mandela really speak to me when it comes to how he went about his business, how he got things done, the efficiency that he carried out, the human relation that he had from as young as five years old to as old as 90 years old. Because he was a nature of that standard, it was very easy for people to relate. So. I really capture those components of his character and really admire how he really went on about his business. So, yeah, he's my icon, historically, and I hold him in very high regard. Thanks for joining us on Farmers Inside Track. Sinhaliswe Fakadi, an Eastern Cape grain farmer. Coming up shortly, the latest movements in the fresh produce markets. But first, Bertie Haman, the Senior Manager of Agribusiness at Standard Bank. And he talks to us about the benefits and disadvantages of having debt. Hello, Bertie. It's great to have you with us. How have you been? Very well, thank you, Don. Hi to you and hi to all the viewers as well. Great to be here. Now, Bertie, in our last engagement, we talked about the awkward B word, budgeting for success. And this week, we're focusing on understanding the difference between profit versus cash. This is, of course, a very critical factor when it comes to success, the success of farmers and success within any business. And you'll today take us through the relationship between profit versus cash flow and discuss some of the risk if either one of the two is unduly emphasized at an expense of the other. What does it mean, Bertie, to make a profit and how does this compare to generating a positive cash flow? Thank you, Don. Yes, indeed, it all starts with, with the budget. So if you make mistakes there, it will flow through into many of your other decisions. But if we focus on profits and cash flows, the whole concept of making a profit sounds very simple. Farm profitably, it sounds very simple. But then you get your financial statements from your accountant and the results are puzzling. So perhaps you thought you made a loss and the accountant comes back and he says, no, no, you made a profit and you have to pay tax. Now, who's to be believed? And I think, you know, it's very likely that you and your accountant are perhaps looking at different things. I think it's very possible that your accountant is focusing on your profits. You are focusing on your cash flow. Now, as we said in a previous episode, is that you will be incurring various expenses during a period of, let's say, 12 months. And based on the expenses, you will be generating an income as well. Now, if your income exceeds your expenses, you are making a profit. But that's just the simple way of looking at it. Your accountant will be using all kinds of accounting standards, which effectively means that you don't necessarily take into account all the money you receive or indeed all the money that you paid away. That is the accounting standards that you apply. And I think, you know, in general, that is the reason why there's a difference between cash flow and profits. Because on the other hand, if you calculate your cash flow, you will simply say, this is all the payments I made, this is all the cash I received, and the difference between the two is unit cash flow for the period. 
And I think you can actually easily calculate your net cash flow by just simply taking your bank balance and adding the money that you've got in your wallet to it. And that is your net cash flow for this specific period of time until now. And I think that's why you will feel maybe a bit different when you get your numbers from the accountant, because perhaps you've just done that calculation and you now have less money than you had last year. And therefore you feel you made a loss. Or like I say, the accountant's calculation is slightly different from that. Is it possible for profit and cash flow to be the same? Don, I think in theory it is indeed possible. But I think in the typical farming venture, that's highly unlikely. I think if I can explain it, if you were, for example, a street vendor, then I think there's a good chance that your cash flow and your profit will be the same. Now, for profit and cash flow to be the same, there's going to be a couple of requirements. And if I can, again, simplify those requirements, it will mean that you will have to buy stock for cash and sell that same stock also for cash. Right? Then you must not make any loans. And I think the value of your stock that you start with this morning, the value of your stock that you end with this afternoon must also be the same. And, and you mustn't use your cash to buy anything like a car or, or something else. I think all the viewers will agree that in the typical farming venture, these assumptions are very unlikely to be achieved. So my view is that profit and cash flow is two different concepts which needs to be understood. Bertie, is it possible to record a profit but be cash flow negative? As strange as it may sound, Don, it is indeed possible. As we've just said, that cash flow and profits will most likely differ. And it can differ to the extreme that you can actually make a profit during your one financial period and during the very same financial period actually record a cash flow loss. And I think there's many things that can cause this, but maybe there's two aspects that specifically can cause cash flow and profits to differ. I think the first one is you make use of bank loans that have got a big influence on, on cash flow. And that can cause cash flow to differ from profits. And then the second thing is the timing when you buy your assets. If you buy your assets at a particular point in time, that can also cause your cash flow and profits to differ. If I can maybe explain by one or two examples, if you take out a bank loan today, you get access to cash. That improves your cash flow. Now, from a profit point of view, the only expense you will be recording from that is the interest that you will be paying. So you can see the using of bank loans, for example, actually can improve your cash flow, I must say, over the immediate short term. So that is that is one thing that can cause it to differ. And maybe in another example, let's say your financial year run from the 1st of March until the 28th of February. And on the 27th day of February, you decide to use all your cash to go and buy lots of stock, which you will be selling over the next couple of months. Now, that transaction will not influence your profitability. So on the 28th day of February, your last day of the financial year, you can still make a profit, but you will feel as if you are bankrupt because you used all your cash to go and buy stock. So the mere fact that you don't have cash on it will make you feel that you're making a loss. Well, from an accounting point of view, that that's not going to be true. Bertie, what is more important, profits or cash flow? Don't I think for the viewers, both are very important. In fact, generating a profit is normally the starting point to be cash flow positive as well. So if you cannot generate a profit, you will not be sustainable in the long run. So both are important. What you must try to do is to find a balance between generating a profit and be cash flow positive. And I think there's maybe two traps to look out for. Maybe your objective is to grow your bombing venture very fast and best you can. And there's nothing wrong with this ambition to grow. But in my experience, growth requires lots of cash. So if you grow too fast, you may run out of cash and not be able to pay your creditors. In fact, it is very possible to go insolvent, not because your liabilities exceed your assets. Maybe you are still solvent in that regard, but simply because you don't have cash to pay your creditors, you will go insolvent. I think that's the one trap to look out for. Growing too fast can eat up all your cash and that creates a bit of an unfortunate financial situation. And on the other hand, you must remember having cash 
um, you can't generate money from high cash balances. So if you have got too much cash on hand, you may be losing out on business opportunities. So the benefit of cash is to provide liquidity, but not much else. So there's definitely a balance that needs to be found between generating a profit and be cash flow positive. Thank you so much for joining us today, Berti. I really enjoy these sessions and I'm sure that our farmers and agripreneurs are also really benefiting from them. We are looking forward to our next discussion, of course. Berti Haman, Senior Manager for Agribusiness at Standard Bank. We really enjoy this chat with you. And is there anything in closing that you'd like to add on this topic? Dawn, I think cash flow is very important. Generating a profit also very important. If you are slightly confused between the two, I speak to your accountant. They are very qualified to explain the two of the difference between the two for you. Thanks for joining us, Berti Haman, the Senior Manager of Agribusiness at Standard Bank. Wow, Mom, why did you put on this chicken? Well, I was trying a new recipe using grain-filled chickens. Oh, Mom, this is amazing. You can't go wrong with 100% South African farm-quality chicken. With a range of fresh, frozen and marinated products, make grain-filled chickens your number one choice. Grain-filled chickens from the farms of the Free State. Need we say more? If you want quality, ask for grain-filled chickens at a leading store. Grainfield Chickens. Bring home the taste. Visit grainfieldchickens.co.za. Right, now for more inspiration from the farms that feed us. Food from Zanzi is a proud media partner to this year's Agri's Got Talent competition. The top 10 farm workers were announced this week, and Vinpro's Foundation CEO Caroline Poole now joins us to share the vision behind this initiative. Our industries to celebrate our people's talent on the farm. And that is what makes Agris Got Talent special. The fact that for one night as a community, we all come together and we celebrate what we've got in our community. Because what we do have, just for your background, is there is a lot of infighting sometimes and a lot of strain and pain um, on the farm. But for one night, producer, worker, talented, not talented, they all behind one person. And that was Vinpro Foundation CEO Caroline Poole. From farm to fork right here on Farmers Inside Track, Mzanzi's flavor top chef Irida Dutue, South African cookbook author and food commentator, shares her secret to a perfect home-cooked South African meal. For me, the secret to the perfect South African home-cooked meal lies in the spirit of generosity. We are really known for our hospitality and our big hearts. And I don't think there's any meal more reflective of our generosity than the Sunday table. Any family get-together becomes a showcase of how generous we are. And although our families are smaller now and our tables are probably not as big, our servings are still as generous. Mmm, sounds delicious. For more great, proudly South African recipes... And of course, even more daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa. Visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at foodformzanzi and use the hashtag FarmersInsideTrack. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. 
they're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. We are drawing closer to the end of another exciting episode of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. But first, our book of the week. Our farmers have selected Meeting Your Power, Returning Home to Yourself by Nokobonga Mbanga and DJ Zintle. Now, the book really is the perfect message for women during the month of Women's Month. And that message is that it is time for you to step into your starring role. Being empowered is a choice and it is a daily decision that defines who we are and is accessible to anyone and everyone. Meeting your power is a reminder that power really is inside all of us and that your journey to empowerment begins with you. This is the story of two remarkable women, DJ Zintle and Nokobonga Mbanga, who have experienced life's ups and downs. They share the lessons learned on their individual journeys through inspirational words that will invoke your inner power and help you to return home to your essence. Not only that, it will also encourage you to return to the source of your power and the power that we are all born with. I believe that being an empowered woman is more than just about doing. It's also about being. And this book will show you how to look at power differently and will also help you to unleash and harness your inner power with honest, simple and practical examples and advice. But most importantly, you will also learn that your greatest empowerment project is being authentically you every day. Prepare to meet your power and radiate your possibilities. Let's ignite a movement of women and girls who understand the higher meaning of love for oneself and others who also appreciate and celebrate our collective growth and who nurture and a solid mindset of achievement and who value creating, protecting and preserving our inner peace. Now with that said, this book definitely is a must read for all agricultural female farmers. Sounds like a must read for any entrepreneur. And remember to email your book suggestions to info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Let me repeat that. It's info at foodformzanzi.co.za. And from our book of the week to this week's AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Markets, here's Dr. Johnny van der Merwe, an agricultural economist at the Northwest University. Thank you very much, Dawn and Duncan. This is your weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Markets, made possible by Standard Bank. To stay up to date with the latest prices and news, subscribe to the AMT YouTube page and also follow us on Facebook. But let's jump straight into the latest vegetable prices the past week. We saw good demand in general the past week on the markets, which will most likely keep prices supported this week as well. As a result, the potato price increased by 9% to 47.37 per 10 kg bag. The price will most likely remain high this week due to low volumes and strong demand on the markets. The tomato price increased last week by 15% to 7.32 per kilogram. Although seasonality indicates lower prices, there was a slight dip in volumes this week which may result in prices to trend sideways rather than down. 
we are still expecting higher volumes during August to negatively affect these prices. The carrot price increased by 1% last week to 3 rand 40 per kilogram, but higher volumes this week due to some producers entering the market is putting downward pressure on these prices currently. The onion price decreased by 3% to 5 rand and 8 cents per kilogram last week due to higher volumes. We are expecting prices to move sideways this week. Other vegetable prices traded as follows. Cabbages on 3 rand 48, garlic on 99 rand 71, spinach on 3 rand 85, sweet potatoes on 4 rand 48, and the latest paper price on 16 rand 11 per kilogram, which is 43% higher compared to the previous week. As mentioned, we may start to see a slight shift in demand towards the fruit market as the warmer weather approaches. However, a 21% increase in banana volumes resulted in the price to decrease by 6% to 6 rand 82 per kilogram last week. This week there is slightly less bananas available which coupled with the stronger demand may support prices. Apple prices increased to 6 rand 92 per kilogram while the latest pay price decreased to 6 rand 70. We are still expecting prices for both these commodities to start picking up soon due to low volumes and the demand shift towards the fruit market. There is currently a shift from Navels to Valencia's in the orange market as the season nears its end. The latest average price traded on 3 rand 99 per kilogram. Fruit quality and export demand will play a crucial role in the months to come in this industry. Avocado prices decreased last week to 13 rand 80 per kilogram due to limited high quality fruits currently available. Volumes may stay higher for the coming 2 to 3 weeks, meaning that prices may trend sideways over this period as well and then start to increase due to volumes that is decreasing every week. Pineapple prices decreased by 23% week on week to 15 rand 78 per kilogram, which is still 231% higher compared to last year at the same time. The latest lemon price traded on 5 rand 77 per kilogram, which is also expected to stay on a higher level for the coming week or so. To stay up to date with the latest prices and news in the fresh produce markets of South Africa, subscribe to the MT YouTube page and also follow us on Facebook. This broadcast is of course made possible by Standard Bank. Back to you Don and Duncan. Thank you Dr. Johnny van der Merwe. Dawn, that's a wrap for this week then. Remember, if you love this podcast, share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. Farmers Inside Track is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please stay safe out there and remember to always wear a mask. Also visit Food for Mzanzi's COVID-19 support page for the latest updates and information. From me, Dawn Numdu, Duncan Masiwa and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have a great week. Until next time, bye-bye. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food for Mzanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.